I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. deserves its own podcast interview, but today we talk about so many different things around the subject of magic. We talk about Joseph Campbell and the power of story and narrative. We talk about uh, something called expert simplicity and, and uh, how the, the whole notion of less being more is tied to that. And we, we, we talk about understanding what isn't, which I think is just a lovely notion, and, and about how magic is, and, and this is to quote Jeff, an effect without a cause, uh, close quote. You are going to really find this interview fascinating on so many levels. So please stay tuned. Check out uh, my interview with Jeff McBride. Check him out online as well. Uh, you'll find the links uh, on the bio, on the page. And don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about podcasting and uh, my own writing as well. But uh, don't go, oh, d- don't, just don't. Don't touch that dial. Well, welcome to Face to Face, and we are joined by a very special guest today, Jeff McBride. He's, uh, he's a lot of things, uh, but he definitely is a magician. He's the uh, founder and creator and director of the McBride Magic and Mystery School here in Las Vegas. And believe it or not, uh, I'm actually face to face with him today. Typically, uh, even though the podcast is called Face to Face, often my interviews are over the phone. So, Jeff, thank you for taking the time to, uh, to talk with us today. It's great to be here, and I guess magic has brought us together face-to-face. It has indeed. Well, I'm yeah. the man of many faces, that's for sure. So, yeah. you know what? Let's, let's go there. I, I think I saw you live in uh, 1987, Abbott's incredible mm-hmm. uh, magic convention that 12, 1,300 magicians started coming mm-hmm. to this small town in Michigan. I remember seeing your act, incredible music, just the theatrics, the smoke, the magic, the, 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 just your approach was so different. Tell... Tell me and, and the listeners a little bit about that. Well, my show is very inspired by Joseph Campbell 
and his book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And my act combines elements of mime, dance, mask work. I've studied kabuki theater, commedia dell'arte, uh, different uh, uh, quick change techniques, and I'm very well versed in the, the history of magic, especially ancient history of magic. So my show is kind of a journey through time and a history of the mystery of magic. And uh, my show kind of explores why magic is so popular in this day and age, even though it's been around for thousands and thousands of years. So do you even own a tuxedo? No, I don't own a tuxedo. <laughs> uh, my show is really progressive, and yeah. I try not to do uh, too much traditional magic, although I have a, a great respect for you know the roots of magic and traditional magic. My show is very progressive. So, so how did that shift occur? So typically, I guess people are thinking magician right now, what they see on TV, what they've seen at a kid's party, etc. Mm -hmm. How did you sort of take a different... Well, topic? magic is changing all the time, and it was really shifting for me when I first started out. Uh, there wasn't a lot of magic on television when back in the 60s and 70s. And when I moved to New York City, uh, right after I graduated high school, people had a very kind of low respect for magic and I realized very quickly that if I was going to use magic as a career vehicle it had to be more than just tricking people it had to be more than just stunts so I started combining magic with my other passions which was martial arts I studied martial arts for many years and that influenced my movement dynamic I studied mime at the American Mime Theater, and I started working with different movement techniques and utilizing masks in my show and playing different characters. And uh, when I was 16 years old, I had the extraordinary opportunity to travel through Asia to study magic, martial arts, and Japanese kabuki theater. And I fell in love with kabuki theater and, and, and had the opportunity to study it and had some master teachers like Morihiko Haniagi from the kabuki theater in Tokyo kind of take me under their wing. And uh, these, the combination of all these theatrical elements uh, got the attention of Broadway producers like Tommy Toon, who introduced me to Bill Barnes, who was Tennessee Williams' manager at the time, and also Susan DePass from Motown. And very quickly, uh, I was discovered working in New York nightclubs doing this hybrid kind of fusion illusion act of all these different theatrical elements. And Diana Ross saw me and tapped me out as her opening act. And I worked Radio City Music Hall, which is, you know, the largest theater in New York, 6,000 seat proscenium theater. And Steve Wynn uh, saw my show. And he had very limited eyesight even at that time, but he really enjoyed my show and uh, made me the. Uh, opening act at the Golden Nugget in Las Vegas, and that's when I, over 30 years ago, moved to Las Vegas, and I've been working in Las Vegas at shows ever since. So if you're if you're if you're into uh, Joseph Campbell, I'm going to just make a quick connection. Your magic has never really been about the tricks for you. It's always been about the narrative or the story. Or there's the, a lot the of story. Yes, there's a you know my my entire show theme is how the shaman of yesterday evolved into the showman of today. Mm. And using and today we even still use many of the tools of the the shaman, the you know rhythmic music, uh, flashing lights, costumes, masks to transform and to access different states of consciousness. Uh, a good magic show, I believe, transforms the audience's perception too and puts them in trance states as well. I think that's uh, one of the appeals to magic is that it cuts through 
all of the intellect to just raw symbolism and experience. Is magic for you then, uh, on some level, a metaphor for you know, uh, for mystery? For you know, I'm I'm a philosopher academically, mm -hmm. and so it's all you know, all philosophy begins in wonder. So you know, there's a lovely tie-in between this idea of wonder and philosophy and magic and so on. And is is it kind of a metaphor for something else, something other for you outside? Well, of magic ourselves? magic is visual metaphor. So you can take a narrative and illustrate it using magic techniques. You know, some say there are you know, 13 different principles to magic, that there is appearance, vanish, uh, change in size, color change, transposition, and but the underlying uh, metaphor for all of magic is transformation. Mm -hmm. Magic reminds us that we're all in the, you know, everything is in the constant state of transformation, especially ourselves. So it's about growth. Um, well, the transmutation is more about growth. <laughs> uh, transformation is changing from one thing to another, and it's not always to a higher level. Transmutation is to a higher level, where lead becomes gold. Transformation can be taking a beautiful head of lettuce and turning it into crap, right. <laughs> you know, right. by eating it. So, you know, so. so, so it's not always about up. No, not always <laughs> about up. I mean, one of the great stories in Western culture is Faust. You know, and that transformation wasn't necessarily a cheery one. <laughs> that uh, trying to access magical power and, and have all knowledge and all magical power doesn't always lead to eternal happiness. <laughs> so is that is that sort of what it is for you? I mean, with, with all your travel, with your study, the, the work that you do, the way you perform, is it about becoming a better self? Well, it's uh, magic is about many different things depending on what... Uh, what age you're at or what level of magic consciousness you're at. Uh, the Magic and Mystery School has been involved in teaching magic to magicians, mostly on a semi-professional or professional level, pro-am, we'll say, <laughs> level, uh, for 25 years. And we find that there's primarily four modalities of magic, that there's four archetypes of magic, that there's the trickster, the sorcerer, the oracle, and the sage. And most people get into magic around eight years old because Max Maven says um, most young men get into eight years old uh, magic into, uh, into magic around eight years old because they find magic a viable psychological coping mechanism. That's right. I they they have Max trouble Maven. dealing with their teachers in That's school right. or their parents and siblings at home, yes. and they find that if they can make the little coin vanish, that's power. So a lot of kids get into magic to stand out. They're not good at sports. They're not good at other things. Uh, they don't necessarily want to be a science geek, but they realize that if they perform a little bit of magic, that they have knowledge that nobody else has. And, and is that like, is that um, the insecure kid in the classroom? Who... Trying to gain status. Yeah, yeah magic yeah. by its very nature is, on some levels, on the, uh, is I know something you don't know. Right. And unless magic gives... Which is about, Jeff, which is about exclusion. I'm yeah, in and you're out. That's right. Right? Yes, that's right. I have a secret and I can't tell you. And I'm an insider and I have this knowledge and you don't. That's why uh, magic, uh, when it's performed in that particular modality, turns a lot of people off. There's some people that can do that kind of magic well, uh, that kind of trickster magic very well, but unless magic evolves uh, to a more theatrical storytelling level that has some kind of <laughs> um, uh, content uh, that delivers more than just a puzzle, right. magic remains kind of 
uh, a pleasure for people that like to solve puzzles. And Matt, there's you know primarily two different styles of magic. There's the puzzle magic, and there's magic that's more fa fantasy oriented. That's more about immersing yourself in the story aspect of the magic, in the mythic aspect of the magic, in the metaphorical. Uh, when magic is stripped down to its nuts and bolts, it's a puzzle. Did you, did you find the puzzle just dissatisfying as a, as a kid? No, you see, I, what I, to, to continue the thought line here, there's as magic, as the magician transforms, transforms, so does the approach to magic, and so does the delivery mm. of magic. Mm. And the next phase, the sorcerer phase, is accessing... Um, the theatrical storytelling, the 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 more mythic components of magic, and being able to give people more than it takes. Yeah, you know, there's primarily two ways a person can watch a magic show. They can watch it and try to figure it out, or they can immerse themselves in in the fantasy of the magic. The challenge happens when there's you know many shows focused today on the the fooling aspect of magic, on the puzzle, on the trying to figure it out. Magician as target, not magician as you know, mythic adventurer. And I think a good magic show or a good magic experience reminds the viewer that they are the magician in their own lives and they can access all of the information and all of the experiences to transform their lives into a higher state of consciousness and not, and not be continu continually pulled down by the puzzles and the obstacles of life, but they use their choices and their intellect and their education and their experiences to break through limitations. Magic is about breaking impossible limitations, and that is also one of the underlying uh, you know, kind of perennial themes of magic that runs through history is breaking through limitations, is, is breaking uh, through what is thought impossible and making it possible. And I think that's a very empowering message in today's world is that even though we live in a world of technology, that if we claim that we're the magician in our lives, then that empowers us to make different choices and, and more progressive choices and more empowered choices to uh, live more uh, to live more enriching lives. So am I walking out of your show in, in your, your mind, hopefully saying, isn't it wonderful, not how was that done? Yeah, I think if they, for me, if, they say, if, if, they're, if they're thinking, how was that done, I failed. Mm. You know, I, I, I want them more to talk about the experience. Uh, as I get older, my magic is, is more about empowering people than in darkening them. I think a magic, a lot of magic leaves people in puzzlement and in darkenment. And I want people to be empowered and enlightened at the end of my show. And I, I do that through examples like my Sorcerer's Apprentice routine, where I take a young person from the audience that's naive and uninitiated into magic. And I initiate them to magic on stage with no words. And all of a sudden they capture the magic and they leave the stage very empowered. And the the audience gets that. They see that. They see that magic can be used as a weapon to darken and trick people and deceive people, which it's been used in history to, you know, keep supernatural, to, to keep um, uh, superstitious populaces, you know, uh, under the thumb of the, you know, the diabolical priests that use illusion to, to 
create the illusion that they had power over them. Right. It's been used in history by phony alchemists to bilk funds out of you know emperors to give them money to pursue their, um, their, their alchemical experiences. And in history, it's been proven that many of these charlatans used sleight of hand and trickery and illusion to create the illusion of transmutation of lead to gold. And, you know, for over 100 years or more, the seances with spirit mediums using magic illusion methods to create the illusion that they were talking to the dead to, you know, to gain funds from, from grieving widows and widowers so they could contact their loved ones in the other world. I mean, there, there, there is a, a, a huge history of magic used as trickery and deception. Even in carnival games, they use magical principles. Principles. Uh, psychologically, uh, you know, telemarketers use principles of, right. of, of, of mentalists to persuade people to, um, to make purchases. Here in Vegas, timeshare people use high-pressure techniques of choice-making used right. by psychological manipulators to make people buy. It's, it's happening all around us in, 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 uh, in television, on the Internet, and dare I say, even radio ads are used for Pers persuasion. I think uh, Terence McKenna said it the best when he said, "The secret to the world, uh, the secret to the world, to the universe, is that the, our world is made of words, and whoever can string those words together in the most per per persuasive way has the edge." Even the word abracadabra, in its etymology and its origin, uh, means in Aramaic, "It is created as it is spoken." We create. We speak. What we say becomes real if we say it enough. So if you spin something enough or you hype something enough in the media, it becomes real even though it's not a fact. Right. Did you know that 86% of statistics are made up to endorse the viewers and the speaker's point of view? Did you know this? <laughs> oh, yes. It's proven fact. 85% of all statistics are made up. What is it? Lies. Oh, proven. Uh, proven. Lies, lies, damn lies and statistics? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So magic's not about deception for you at all then? In this well, case. I would say, yes, magic at one level has to uh, be deceptive at, to engage the viewer in, in wonderment, okay. in trying to, uh, in, in uh, what uh, Paul Harris, one of my friends and a great innovator of magic, says, it, uh, magic is a great way of popping paradigms. Mm, All of nice. a sudden... What you thought you believed all your life is now in question. And yes, magic has to be deceptive to be able to get people's attention. Now that I have your attention, what am I going to do with it? What's the intention behind grabbing your attention? So would you say, so I love, I love, we're, we're not going to have enough time to, I mean, get beyond scratching the surface, it seems to me, but, but. Why are so few at the or oracle stage, it seems to me? And I'm not even sure I know what an oracle okay. is. Okay. Well, generally, and these are generalisms in the, this yeah, typology of, of, of magic. All that sweeping generalizations are wrong. <laughs> all sweeping generalizations. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. You know, uh, the average age for young boys and young girls to get into magic is about eight years old. There's oh, some okay. cognitive function that kicks in. They have enough grasp of reality to understand what isn't. And it doesn't really kick in at four or five. It just really doesn't. Uh, there are exceptions, of course. And this, uh, and people get interested in magic uh, until 
they're in their teens. When they graduate school, most of them get out of magic because this, this thing called life comes along. <laughs> right. And they have to go to university, yeah. and then they have yeah. to get a degree, and after a degree they fall in love, and then they get married, and then they have kids, and then they get a really good job, and they get promoted, and this goes on for years and years and years. And one day in midlife, after all the kids are out of rehab, and after the second divorce, they wake up and they go, oh, I loved magic. And a lot of people get back into magic around. But those who stick with magic through their teens into their 20s enter that stage that, a stage that we call the sorcerer. And then that is the, 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 the age uh, of expertise and mastery. That's when all the other skill sets come into play. And today it's business and marketing and all of these other things you have to do to make a living in magic. And then around 40, um, around midlife, there's a, a, a natural... Uh, turn towards introspection and self-reflection. And this is what we call the oracle st stage. Not all magicians get there, and some reach it earlier than others. Some never even access it. And this is more the intuitive uh, mental me mentalism, dealing with uh, uh, magic of the mind, uh, dealing with subtler methods. And magicians really learn that they can do more with less mm. and they don't need all of the big boxes and dancing girls and lights and explosions to create extraordinary magical uh, experiences for people and this is the 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 realm of the like i said the mind reader the mentalist the uh, psychic investigator people that are exploring the psychology and philosophy of magic and these people are more in their 40s and 50s because this is a time when people are reflecting. It's kind of the halfway point of people's lives. And then there's the final stage of a magician's evolution, which we call the sage. And this is the mentor, the teacher, the person that's putting their life work down in some sort of a book or a school or teaching to students. And it's also the, the realm of the collector, the historian, the writer, and those people that are kind of encapsulating their life's wisdom and passing it on to future generations. You see, you can't enter magic as a sage no longer. No, no matter how long your beard is, you can't enter as a sage. You have to learn the, the art of the trickster and learn what makes magic deceptive and learn what gets people attention. Then you have to learn how to polish that and hone that and make it beautiful and theatrical and make it something more than just puzzles. And then you have to take a serious look at that and uh, as... Max Maven, again, I talk about Max Maven, one of our teachers. He says that the, the first half of your life, we're working towards expert complexity, where we're learning more and more complex skills. Like if you learn the piano, you have to learn the notes and then play diff all different arrangements, and then you get more and more complex skills. And then as you get older, you t tend to strip away and search for expert simplicity, the, the, the where less is exactly uh, more. And uh, I, I have a little rant on that. I say that... Uh, um, the, the, the big less on is in, in when you become an oracle is less on your mind, less on stage, less on your charge card. And if you don't learn the less on, you be, continue to be a moron. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so there's a, there's a, a, a quest for streamlining. Does the mystery school sell those in bumper sticker form? Yeah, that, yeah, wouldn't that be great? Yeah, 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 less yeah, is more. Yeah. We just call it less more. So, so, so the thread has to be, and, and, and we... I wanted to chat to you a little bit just because I know your act and the years you put into this and, and the school and the teaching and so on. The discipline, the practice, the the hours, the 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 obsessive almost <laughs> disorder that goes along with being a great act. 
Many, to get to that most magicians state. are self-taught or these days a lot of them learn from books or DVDs and a lot from the internet which is kind of unfortunate because there's so little mastery mm. on the internet so mm. people learn a lot of wrong habits and just you know but let's talk about practice and discipline I think discipline if you look at the word you know the root of it is about a disciple and disciple implies a master and I know that I reached a different level of understanding of the practice of magic when I had a master, who's Eugene Berger, who's the dean of the Magic and Mystery School, who's a real sage. He's America's foremost philosopher on the art of magic, and he's more than a philosopher. He has won magician of, close-up magician of the year from Hollywood's famed Magic Castle, two times over, and lecture of the year. You know, he's very well respected in all the different quadrants of magic. He knows sleight of hand. He's an expert trickster. He can do stage magic and performance and lecture. He's also an excellent teacher. Um, uh, t- uh, t- teacher of magic and scholar of magic. And you know, you, Eugene Berger, studying with Eugene Berger really taught me about practice. Hmm. Uh, many performers think that you practice, then you rehearse, then you do a show. And what I've learned, if you don't fall in love with practice, you'll never be a great magician. Hmm. People, people think practice is something to move through to get to the performance stage. Practice for me is an end to itself. Uh, doctors have a practice. Lawyers have a practice. Uh, great musicians have a practice. And I learned this from my friend Joshua Levin, who studies at the Ali Akbar School of Indian Music out in California. And these are people that play the most advanced, difficult ragas in, in Indian music. And their philosophy is that the practice is where they, if the practice is good and the students are in the school and we're practicing together, we can get to these very high exalted states of consciousness. But then the phone rings and we have to stop the practice. And and, and now, oh, it's a gig. It's a show. We have to stop our practice for the show. And the show is across town and it's a wedding and they're probably all drunk And the music is probably going to be kind of background for the party. But they have to pick up all their instruments, move them, transport them to the other side of town where they can set up not quite as good as the school. Would sound not quite as good. And then do do a show for people that don't really appreciate the music on the high level like the students gathered at the school. So the goal is the practice, not necessarily the performance. If I think the best, you know the best performance is actually uh, immersing people in the practice and getting them to participate in it. That's why I think some of my most effective performances are here at the school for magic aficionados that are involved in the practice. And I think nowadays that I perform to attract curious people that then become students, that then become practitioners instead of just making happy audiences that go home. I want to draw people into more inner circles of magic so I can get them to come here and to see what we're about here. Because ultimately, if you love magic, you'll love it enough to seek experiences on a much higher level than just being an audience at an illusion show or just being one night at the Magic Castle. If the magician is doing their job right, they will pull you into their magic world, circle by circle, initiation by initiation. And 
many lay audiences will say, oh, I don't want to know about the secrets of magic. That would spoil it. Oh, au contraire. Oh, no, it doesn't. The more you know about magic, the more fascinating it is. And the most adept magicians and the most knowledgeable magicians, it is a great thrill and pleasure to be able to create an experience that is incomprehensible to them. So did you just, I've heard you talk about it for years, a deeper meaning uh, or a deeper mystery to magic. Did you mm-hmm. just basically describe that, would you say? I would say so. I, I mean, would I say so. we're talking about that here in the, whole, in the whole interview. You know, magic can only be as deep as the practitioner. Mm. And it can, you can only experience deep magic uh, if you're ready to, to go in, you know, and if you want to remain on the outside of magic, uh, you can only experience as much magic in, in life as you're willing to, 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 to make the commitment to adventure and towards. And asking something of your audience as well. I think it's really interesting that your comment about how some of your greatest ex- performances have been here. Oh, absolutely. Really oh, oh, I know that. Oh, I know yeah, that I have, because this is my theater. Right. This right. is my room in Vegas. You know, and it's not an illusion. It's real. It's it's built on, you know, it's it's built on all of my experiences. And people can only give a magical experience. A magician can only give a magical experience if they've had one. And that's what I provide to the world is magical experiences for people that are looking for deeper magic. I really want to ask you in a second here. I want to go down this pathway a little bit, uh, a little bit more. But um, so you're a te- clearly a teacher, philosopher, thinker, uh, performer. All of these things is the goal to is the goal to create not not more not followers, not more people like yourself, but to 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 not just to create the experience for people like myself as a magician or as an audience uh, member, but to actually create others that are going to go on to continue in this kind of a tradition? Does that make sense, Jeff? Yeah, what Eugene says, and I believe this, is that a teacher is only as good as their student. And what we do is we give people the tools and the experience to go forth in their own community or their own you know, world that they've created and to have more effective tools and an experience that can share. So we're back. Yeah, we're kind of we kind of come. We're back to this idea of inclusion, which is what I mm-hmm. love because so so much magic is presented as a puzzle or as a hair. I'm going to fool you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to fool the hell out of you. My 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 show out, is a, an invitation to initiation. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's what my show is, and it's and it's you know, pretty Breck, clear. Breck talk about breaking breaking down the fourth wall. Would you would you oh. say most magicians build it and maybe add add a few layers? Interesting, interesting, interesting. Magic, though I, I, I use the word theater so people can get their head around it, I don't think mag- magic is what we would classically define as Western theater, which involves a fourth wall. Hmm. When you go to see a play, the audience, for the most part, doesn't have a part. They're watching in a darkened theater. A good magical performance does take the fourth wall and move it to the back of the theater. So everybody that is in the theater is included in the experience. Now, to the degree a performer does that, I mean, they might use one or two people out of the audience and make fun of them and slaughter them. That's usually the modality that magicians work. They'll get a person from the audience, bring them to the stage, make them look like a jerk, and send them back. Send them back. And send them back. Almost laughed out loud, but yes, back. And then and send them back. And that is the most that is the most frequently utilized presentational strategy. But my take on it is that 
the magician as initiator has an incredible responsibility to the tribe, the audience mm -hmm. gathered, mm -hmm. you know, the magician as showman, shaman, to when they bring a person on stage into that liminal space where that audience participant is neither an audience member anymore and they're not a performer really. They're in liminal space and that's a very vulnerable space. And I encourage magicians to initiate gently and to transform that person into a hero because people want to see people succeed. They will laugh at a person slipping on a, on a, on a, on a but that's trickster level crap. You know, I'm trying to take, you know, this, this stuff and turn it into gold. And that's, that's the transmutation is how do you take the experience of taking a person from the audience and touch them and turn them to gold and then send them back golden. How do you maintain this level of passion? No and TV. I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. No TV. Large, large uh, amounts of uh, vodka. Is it? No, uh, no, it's actually consuming books at an incredible rate. <laughs> yeah, that's. I awful. spend most of the day practicing and reading. That's what I do. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm yeah. here practicing and no, reading. I just I, I feel like I feel like we're celebrating something here together. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, yeah. Which is really yeah. quite lovely and remarkable mm -hmm. like we're just having a conversation how come there's so few women in magic well i think that's a western perception okay. and i and i don't think that's absolutely true i spent a lot of time in asia and there is something called the deshi system which is the teacher apprentice system in japan and there is an extraordinary amount of women deshi of 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 women magic teachers and women in magic i went to a, a japanese magic convention put on by my friend june and it was mostly women wow. and it was mostly women in their 30s 40s and 50s the entire and i'm going like what is this and they go it's very popular <laughs> now we don't see that because there's a cultural Sure. You know, uh, you know the, the the kind of cultural barrier, but uh, you know, in in history, if you look at the history of Western magic and you go back hundreds of years, the longest running role for a woman, and we'll call them magician, was the Oracle of Delphi. It was played for hundreds wow. of years, nice. and it was the nice. major role in Western culture. Yeah. Was this basic, uh, you know, person that could read your mind and give you these 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 cryptic and pithy, uh, know, you know, forecasts. Know thyself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that was over the Greek mystery temples, right? Uh, and also Carl Jung had that over his door, and I've been <laughs> contemplating getting one over there. I don't want to scare people away too much. You know, know thyself. Huh? I can't even come in now. That's right. <laughs> I got to go do some work. Yeah. Um, yeah, but in Western culture, there's always been uh, the wise woman, the, the 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 hedge witch, the you know the 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 crone, the the fairy godmother, and all of these you know myths and legends. Uh, very powerful women sorcerers, Morgan Le Fay. Let's go back. I mean, there are there is a history, but they're not playing magicians. Magician, by its very nature, archetypally, is a male solar archetype. The wand is a phallus, where the high priestess holds a chalice. Let's look at the tarot. Let's go back to these archetypal images, and we can see that the woman, the women's role is a more lunar, magnetic, uh, healer. It's not the, the warrior, wand-wielding, lightning bolt sort of uh, right. wizard that we think. You know, wizards have beards. Wise women, you know, they 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 have a uh, their their apothecary. 
Right. You know, they have different sure. tool kits. Sure. Sure. And even if you go look back to the vaudeville days, there was dozens and, and dozens, if not hundreds, of women mind readers. They were the ones that were blindfolded and gave messages. And a lot of the spirit mediums were women. Uh, the most popular, uh, we'll, we'll say mind reader of the age, who did a question and answer act was Jean Dennis who was one of the great stars of the vaudeville circuit. So I think that there's not a lot of women magicians is a, is a, is a kind of a limited view from our you know, modern television culture since right. the 50s, right. but it's not really one that, that spans time and cultural distance. Well, and from what, and maybe we need to wrap this up, in fact we do in a second here, but maybe this is a nice way to sort of bring it back sort of full circle. Isn't that what you're really trying to do too, is this idea of, of changing perceptions? The, you know, breaking down these, these, testing the idols, as it were, as Nietzsche would say, right? Well, that's and, what comedy and, does, that's what magic does. It sets up a narrative and then you predict an outcome and it shatters it. Uh, magic is is a, 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 an effect without a cause. You know, and you have to think about that. And Right, 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 right. And we're really changing the perception of magic. My wife Abigail is, uh, is working with a number of women magicians including Luna Shimada and Arian Black on a project called Sisters of Mystery. And they are gathering, you know, women magicians uh, right after the big magic convention here in town called Magic Live in August, and it's a gathering of of, of deep thinkers in women's magic, philosophers of women's magic, and practitioners of women's magic. So, I mean, if people, you know, want to believe that there's not a lot of women in magic, well, attend that, and you'll see <laughs> that right, there actually yeah, cool. is Thanks. this rich history. So, can we get real practical here for a second? Are you only letting magicians into this school? No, this school, we have writers, we have historians, we have uh, philosophers, we have lay people come to the school that want to deepen their understanding of magic. Not all magic is performance. Uh, uh, this might become as a revelation, but the majority of people involved in magical organizations are magic enthusiasts, magic lovers, people that do not perform magic or they might use it on, you know, use it as a social tool or, or share a little bit with friends, but there are people that collect magic, read magic, are fascinated by magic, want to know more about the, the culture of magic today involved in magic. Uh, we have a conference uh, here at Mystery School called Magic and Medicine for mm. doctors mm. that use magic or utilize magic uh, uh, performance in their uh, doctor-patient relationships or they utilize magic in their presentations as visual accents to some of their scholarly talks to wake people up during sure, long sure. presentations. Sure. So there's a, you know, uh, the symbol of, 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 uh, healing in Western medicine is the caduceus, you know, that stick with the wings with the two serpents wrapped around it. And that's the wand of Hermes. That's the wand of magic. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and uh, it's also kind of a symbol for DNA. And our master teacher here, Dr. Ricardo Rosencrantz, that runs magic and medicine program at Northwestern University in Chicago, he believes that magic and medicine share the same DNA. And that's clear in just looking at the caduceus. And we do a whole lecture on magic and sharing its DNA and the way that shamanism and showmanism play into, nice. mag uh, into narrative medicine, storytelling I medicine. Hate, I hate the fact that this interview is over. 
We're going to have to do a part two. I, okay. I hope, I hope we can. <laughs> I hope one day we can uh, too. So magicalwisdom.com. You can go to magicalwisdom.com uh, and you can. St- we have a lot of free information there on people that are magic enthusiasts or people that want to learn more about magic. Not You don't have to learn, perform magic tricks to be involved deeply in, in the art of magic. There are a lot of people that love opera that aren't opera singers. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of people that love sports that aren't athletes, right? Probably more of them, right? And that's the, it's really quite the same in magic. And that's one of the illusions. We've been joined today by uh, Jeff, with Jeff McBride in Las Vegas and actually face to face. So, Jeff, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate Thank you very much. I have to disappear. <laughs>